Hi, this is Annie Fox for Family Confidential, Secrets of Successful Parenting. My guest today is Dr. Dan Peters. Dr. Peters is a psychologist and co-founder of The Parent Footprint, an interactive parenting education community. He's also the author of Make Your Warrior a Warrior. Hi, Dan. Welcome to Family Confidential. Thanks, Annie. I'm glad you're here with us. Um, I want to talk about worrying. I grew up with a mom who I think was probably a gold medal Olympic worrier. You're not alone. <laughs> yeah. And so I kind of, I feel like I made a conscious um, decision when I became a parent that I was not going to be such an alarmist and and not kind of fuel fear in my kids. So I wanted to ask you, starting off, what exactly is worrying? So I like to answer this question on a continuum of worry on the one end all the way to fear on the other. So the components are, if you got, if you're for the visual folks like myself, we have worry on one end, we got anxiety in the middle, and then we have fear on the other end. And so fear is something that we all need biologically to survive, right? It's something that is, it resides in our amygdala, in our brain. And we respond with a fear response to something in the environment, and there's a whole lot of physiology that goes along with that. We take it a step back, and now we have anxiety. Anxiety, many of us think of anxiety as an irrational fear. So maybe something that's possible, but it's highly, highly unlikely, and we worry and stress and worry about it and might even ruminate or obsess. Now, worry tends to be a really uh, large and um, vague category, which is where we're nervous, we're thinking something bad's going to happen, or we have trepidation about something within us or in our environment. So I like to think of worry is with a, a small W of, of something, something's not right, something bad's going to happen. But then as it gets towards anxiety, that W gets a lot bigger and it becomes more problematic. And maybe less conscious? I would say conscious. So something I talk about a lot with uh, people I speak with is that how worry and thinking has become uh, transposed in our language or, or, or substituted. So, so many people say, what should I worry about? And I say, well, are you asking <laughs> what should you be thinking about? You know, a lot of us think about what should I worry about? When it really is, well, I don't need to worry about anything. I need to think about it. So I do think that worrying for a lot of us, um, depending on how we're wired or how we are, we're raised, really is an unconscious, uh, quiet, but persistent thinking style that we don't even realize we're doing. Well, so I'm guessing in the work that you do with um, kids and parents and families in general is that you maybe make them more conscious of this because, you know, as Dr. Ludwig mm. von Drake said, you know, once we identify the problem, we can begin to deal with it. If it's yes. unconscious, if we bring it up, we go, oh, yeah, I'm doing that again. Is that is that right? Uh, Absolutely, because most of us, I, you know, we, we talk about, I know you spend a lot of time in schools and with education, and it's fascinating to me what we teach people about. And, you know, I always used to be the guy who complained of why do I have to memorize the capitals and why do I have to memorize all the math facts? It doesn't make sense. It's not real. And why, you know, we're just starting to teach people about how their brains work. Yeah. And part of this bringing conscious is teaching little human beings and a big human beings is, how their brain works and the biology of our brain and that we have fear to survive. So when saber tooth tigers are chasing us, we, we need to understand there's a fear response that keeps us alive from an evolutionary perspective. But then there's a lot of this worry that's gotten into our culture and this anxiety 
that we don't question our thinking. So you're absolutely right. We need to become aware of our actual thinking style and our behavioral responses to know, to, to label it like, whoa, I actually am worrying a lot. I'm not just a lot, I'm worrying a lot. And actually I'm feeling anxious a lot and it keeps me from doing things I want to do and, and I don't like it. Wow. Okay. So um, the idea of this worry and anxiety taking over, uh, it mm-hmm. sounds like a real joy buster to me. <laughs> it's fun. Yeah. And in um, your book for kids or for parents about about kids, um, make your warrior a warrior. Um, um, tell me, tell me essentially what is that approach? Because I think mm-hmm. of a warrior as someone who um, knows what is real and when force and um, fortitude is is necessary and when to relax. Well said. So the whole idea is when I think of war, from warrior to warrior, when we're worried, we're not feeling empowered. We're thinking something bad is going to happen, whether the skies fall like chicken little or <laughs> we're just worried about getting picked up. You know, our parents are going to pick us up on time. When we're the idea, the image of a warrior is that we feel confident and that we are on the offense of life instead of on the defense and scared part of life. So the concept actually came about from all of my work. And what I write about at the beginning of the book is there's nothing new in here that hasn't been written about. What I did was take all of the um, different types of ideas about anxiety from brain-based biology, which I started to talk about earlier, to cognitive therapy, which is thinking about our thinking and how our thinking um, impacts our emotions and behavior, to behaviorism, which is we actually can just do different things to overcome worry and fear, and then up to, of course, mindfulness, which has fortunately um, penetrated our Western culture um, about trying to stay present in the moment. And what I found in working with families and talking to families day in and day out is getting the toolbox, getting the understanding of what worry, anxiety, and fear is, and not only explain it to parents, but it to these little people who are great thinkers. And how do we help these great thinkers get into their, their frontal lobe, their problem-solving parts of the brain, which humans are, are pretty good at, which is why we tend to have pets instead of pets having us. Like, we're really good problem-solvers is how do we get people to understand how this process works so they can dig into their toolbox to cope and be resilient and face adversity. So adversity is something that crosses your path, you know, from time to time. But there are yes. other things that don't measure up to that, that level of adversity. Um, mm-hmm. when, I ta- when I talk with kids, um, I, I use an image of a shark on a big screen in a, in a dark assembly room to show mm-hmm. them um, how their stress response works. And every single one of them will go <gasps> like that as soon as they see it. And then my next I- image is um, a text that says, um, you are a loser. Mm. And, and I say to them, okay, this not nice. Um, depending on who it comes from, could be mm-hmm. a form of betrayal. It could be very confusing, frustrating, a whole lot of other things. But is it a shark? I like that. I like that. So in the yeah, moment, I mean, yeah, yeah, in the moment when that stress response triggers in, and mm-hmm. and I think I think part of this, and please correct me if I'm wrong, is that that part of um, our overstimulated society with this input of of messages all the time 
um, makes us hypersensitive to um, adversity when, in fact, not everything is a shark. In fact, most of the time, it's not a shark. I think that's great symbolism and a great metaphor. Most of the time, it is not a shark. Thank goodness. And, you know, (laughs) thank goodness, right? And what you're describing, though, reminds me of this automatic response. So uh, let's say um, you go to the doctor's office and you, uh, your knee, uh, the joint joint test of your knee, you you get bonked on your knee and all of a sudden your foot pops up. And I think we are being conditioned in our society with, with media, with social media, with the news. We are being bombarded with things that are supposed to arouse fear because fear is provocative and fear sells. And what I think what we need to teach the kids, like you wonderfully do in, these, um, in your training talks, in your seminars, is that even if we have an initial response, we can take a step back and have a deep breath. Right. I'll never forget. It's in one of my first psychology classes in college. It was a, a theory of perception or psychology of perception. And the professor said he was running this morning and he was on the trail. And all of a sudden he saw a snake and he jumped back. But actually, once his eyes focused, it was a stick. And he said, so we're trained to respond. But fortunately, he was able to look again and take a deep breath and realize he was safe and move about. He didn't go running away screaming. Right. And I think it's another example of how we need to take inventory of what's going on and ask ourselves, is this, in your words, a shark? Is this fear? Or can I deal with it in another way because it doesn't need that sort of response from me? Right. In fact, that... As I, I talk about it, um, your brain gets very, very narrow when it's mm-hmm. in the fear response. It's only fight or flight. You only have two options. But for the nasty text, you are a loser. You need, you need more problem solving to respond appropriately for it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's not simple. It's very complex, as you know, helping kids, teens these days, and uh, pre-adolescents get through the, I think, really, really complex um, period of life where we didn't have um, media in the same way um, and smartphones. Um, But like you said, it doesn't have to be fear. Right. So um, that, that knee jerk reaction, when you get a disturbing text, um, Mm -hmm. you may not have a lot of control over that because in an Mm -hmm. instant, your brain has misidentified it as a shark. But then as you say, assess, (laughs) take a slow deep breath and go, okay, what is this really? And what's my next best move? So for mm-hmm. kids, for, for, for young children, um, what mm-hmm. would you, I mean, I see the illustration on your, on your book seems to be, you know, a younger, a younger child. Um, and, right. and maybe it's because um, parents of younger children um, see more of their children's fears because young adolescents are better at masking it. What do you think? Well, actually, you're reminding me, I left something out in terms of the concepts of the book, the main one, which the picture is, is part of. So narrative therapy and narrative thinking is part of this model and it's part of the title is when we can externalize a problem from within ourselves, which is the whole idea of the worry monster or the anxiety monster or the fear monster. We bring this image outside ourselves and then we can get some space from it and actually use our tools and use our team, which for kids are often their parents. So what's fascinating about that is I've used that image. It, it came about just in my work before there was a book 
I would uh, take a picture uh, off the internet of a funny looking monster, a green monster, and tell the kids and the parents and adolescents, hey, you know who's bullying you? You know who's telling you those things, those negative things? This is the green monster. And what's fascinating is, it, people of all ages were taking pictures of it and put it on their um, phones, their reminder, parents too. So the image is um, is more childish. I could say the concept is is more far reaching um, and you yeah. can use your own your own image and own words. But to your point, I think what parents see it, um, we definitely see it in young kids, but we don't always see it in the face of worry. We often see it in meltdowns and hiding and avoidance and nail biting and nightmares. And um, so I think anxiety manifests um, ways that we can't ignore, but can't always understand why in younger kids. And then as the kids get older, you see adolescence, it tends to become more verbal. Unless you have a highly verbal child, it tends to become more verbal and then you have more access to conversations and yeah. more um, abstract thinking. That's really well put. Um, I have a two-year-old grandson and the first time he saw the Humpty Dumpty um, mm. nursery rhyme, mm-hmm. he was like, what happened to Mr. Dumpty? The idea that he broke was very upsetting to him. And, and we, I mean, I heard this question again. What happened to Mr. Dumpty? And, and the extrapolation is, could that happen to me? Could, right. c- could I break? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, yeah. I'm, I'm wondering, um, a, a big takeaway that you might give to my, my listeners of, who are parents and, and teachers of kids of all ages, actually. Um, if you are hearing... If you're, mm-hmm. I mean, the obvious things are, are, you know, meltdowns, as you say, maybe, um, right. you know, um, the kinds of, um, night terrors or, or nightmares mm-hmm. and things like that, but more, um, uh, a verbalization of, you know, I, I, I don't want to do that. I don't want to know. Mm-hmm. I think I'll just stay here. Um, avoidance mm-hmm. kinds of things. Um, what's, what's the first step for a parent who's hearing this? Because I know sometimes parents get impatient. They, they have to be somewhere Mm -hmm. and the kid, for whatever reason that, that they're not saying does not want to go to that place. Um, and parents go, Oh, come on, just get it together. We're going. Um, right. Yeah. What what can they do instead? Well, I guess, and as I answer that question, defiance is a number one, um, indicator also of anxiety, which we have to like, come on, let's go, you know, listen to us. How, why does everything have to be so difficult? You're so, you know, they're so defiant. And that is some of the troubling fear that we see. So the other thing that we see is that, you know, are you going to pick me up? I don't want to be left alone. Can you come with me to the bathroom? So when you're seeing any of that stuff, um, I think the first thing is just to recognize that your child could be worried or anxious. And when I say anxious, I don't mean like big, anxiety disorder. We don't have to go to the our own worry monsters about our kids um, having <laughs> Good challenges. But we, we just need to recognize that our kids might be fearful and they might be worrying and that's driving their behavior. So just that's 50% of it actually is just keying in in our busy lives as to what might they be experiencing mm-hmm. even if we don't see any reason for them. I feel that way. You know, it's nice if we can reason ourselves. Our, they have no reason to be afraid. We have a very safe family and we live in a safe It doesn't matter. You know, for those of us who know what it's like to worry and be anxious, remember, anxiety and worry is irrational, right. but it feels very real. So the first step is recognizing it. 
And the second thing is to talk to your child about worry. And, you know, that's where this whole concept of the worry monster came up with is you can use, like in a children's book format of, you know what, a lot of us worry. A lot of us have this imaginary thing called a worry monster. You want to match it to where your kid is at. But I really try to find a way to educate and and, uh, console at the same time. And then you get to see over time how much more intervention, for lack of a better word, you need would address with your child depending on how problematic the behavior is Good. or how, how emotional your child is. I like that. Educate and console. So, you know, I'm here. I, I empathize with your feeling and um, let's talk about it. Mm-hmm. And he, you can, and here are, here are some, some tools. Here are some things you can use to calm yourself down, to let me know what your worries are. Um, to empower yourself. Um, my son used to have uh, have a hard time saying goodnight to us and being left alone when he was about four in in the dark. Mm-hmm. And he found he, we had this little figurine. It was like an action figure, and right on on his night table. Um, having that there made him feel safer and stronger. That's perfect. That's a great example. You know, some people just having a worry box, mm-hmm. or we have worry time. You know, where we write down, a little, they make a little artistic box, and then we write on a piece of paper on a post-it anything they're worrying about, and we put it in the box. Or, you know what, I, let's, let's have worry time be from 5 to 6 tonight. And, you know, <laughs> it's, only, it's only 10 o'clock right now in the morning, and we have the whole day, you know, we have soccer, or we're going to the farmer's market, and, you know, half the time, the worries are gone by the time they get to 5 o'clock. So is it like so say, to, save it until 5 o'clock? Yeah, let's, say, let's save all of our worries until 5 o'clock. <laughs> And what you're doing is you're distracting a child, but it's really a cognitive strategy you're starting to teach, which is I can manage my thought and put it away. Now, of course, if kids are really anxious or obsessively anxious, that's very difficult to do. And then we're also seeing that this might be challenging for your child at this developmental phase for them. This is all such great information, Dan. I love it. Okay, so we have about 30 seconds left. And in that time, I'd love for you to give our viewers and listeners um, a URL where they can find your work online. Okay. Uh, One place is parentfootprint.com, www.parentfootprint.com. Summit Center, www.summitcenter.us. And finally, www.drdanpeters.com. Hey, lots of resources at those three places, I know, because I've been there. Um, Thank you so much for your time, Dan, and for the excellent work that you do. I'm I'm honored that we had this time to talk together. And thanks for having me. I appreciate it. This is Annie Fox for Family Confidential. To learn more about my work with tweens, teens, and their parents, visit AnnieFox.com. And check out my parenting book, Teaching Kids to Be Good People, Progressive Parenting for the 21st Century. And my latest book for tween girls, the girls' Q&A book on friendship, 50 Ways to Fix a Friendship Without the Drama. And rate us on iTunes. It helps other folks find the show. Family Confidential Podcast is produced by Electric Eggplant, creators of books and apps for parents, kids, tweens, and teens. And tune in next time when my guest will be Corey Warren. Corey is the communications manager at LifeLock, and he and I will be talking about the new free app, the Smart Talk. 
The Smart Talk gets parents and kids together for a conversation about being responsible with new technology. Until next time, happy parenting. Thank you.